Hello and welcome to Wives and Knives, a true crime podcast with me, Danny Smith. And me, Kelly Lee. Please remember that we mean no disrespect to anyone mentioned in this episode or across any of the Wives and Knives platforms. We have an interest in true crime and related topics and whilst we may offer our own personal views on certain subjects, it is meant to be educational and as light-hearted as possible. The information we present is collated from research gathered on the internet and we reference and credit our sources wherever possible. Yeah, come and check us out on the socials. On Instagram, we are Wives and Knives the Pod, Twitter at Knives Wives and Facebook Wives and Knives. Uh, we've also got a website where you can check out photographs and source notes from all of our episodes and that's wivesandknives.wixsite.com forward slash my site and you can also make some suggestions about cases on there as well hello and welcome to this week's mini episode of wives and knives it's a mini crime episode this week for our lovely listeners yes and hello everyone we hope you're all keeping safe and well out there so before we get into it shall we have a quick catch-up yeah, I feel like this entire episode is going to be a bit of a catch-up. Um, it's been quite the few weeks in the crime world, but yeah, let's start with us. Um, do you want to go first, Danny? Yeah, I started my new job and I'm super happy with how the first week has gone. Although it's been like a huge change, I am really loving it. So that is all good. Kelly, what about you? Oh, that's really good to hear. Um, Yeah, March has just been like a super busy month for me, lots of birthdays and uh, a lot of cake has been consumed. Um, A lovely lady called Charlotte made me some Kinderella blondies, oh my gosh, Um, my mouth's watering just thinking about them actually. Um, And I had excellent feedback on my party bags for the beans class at school, so hashtag winning. Um, We've had some exciting interactions on the socials, haven't we? Yeah, so Red Handed Podcast gave us a mention on their Instagram and it was so exciting because I am a proper fan of theirs so there's a bit of a fangirl moment there. Mm -hmm. Um, So thanks to Mark and Bethan for offering your advice and help and I had a nice little chat with Mark on Instagram so that was nice. Oh yeah, I'm really lovely. They're a a great podcast. Um, So yeah, lovely to hear from them. Uh, And Sue... I, I hate this because I always think I pronounce her name wrong. Um, Sue Howman liked our post about Stuart Lubbock on Facebook and she was his wife. So that's a duly noted nod to you, Sue. Um, and it seems an opportune time to bring up the developments in Stuart's case because on the 17th of March, uh, which is just a few days ago when we're recording, it was revealed that the police had made an arrest of a 50-year-old man in connection to Stuart's death. Um, I, all we know is that he's um, from the Cheshire area and he has currently been released on bail, so we need to definitely keep a, a close eye on that. Yeah, that is very exciting news and it's so long overdue, I feel. Oh, definitely. Um, You know, we'll report back and share anything that we hear as usual throughout, you know, the socials. Um, I know I sent I sent you several shouty voice notes about this, didn't I? Yes. (laughs) No doubt. Expect more of them coming your way. Um, So but for today's episode, we thought we would provide you all with some riveting updates. And um, I'm going to acknowledge some anniversaries. Oh god, that sounded really weird. That <laughs> <laughs> so for some reason, um, 
I'm going to acknowledge some anniversaries and we have a mini case that Danny's been working on. Yeah, um, shall we start with the update on Kendrick Johnson? Because we've discussed covering his case for the podcast and I've decided that I am definitely, definitely going to cover it in the next few weeks. But in short, Kendrick Johnson was found dead rolled up in a gym mat in Lones, Lones County High School gym. Yeah, I think I think that's either Lones or Lowndes, I'm not sure, Lowndes. but... I'm not sure. Anyway, he was found rolled up in a gym mat seven years ago and the case was an absolute shit show and law enforcement ruled it an accident. An absolute accident. But on the 9th of March, just this year, the Sheriff's Department handling the case have decided to reopen it. So that is great news. It is an interesting case. So yeah, stand by for the full episode and hopefully more updates on that. Yeah, I, I really hope this decision provides some serious like charges for those involved and some answers or closure for the family. Oh yeah, and it's another family who are waiting for answers that are the focus of the mini case that I'm going to be talking about this week. And that is of missing teen Andrew Gosden. Had you heard of this case, Kelly? So yes, I had, but I've got to admit um, to not fully being aware of everything all the sort of interesting little things that surround it and I did a bit of a uh, in inverted commas deep dive last night um I, I hate saying deep dive <laughs> <laughs> do you remember right I know I'll be, just let me go off tangent really quickly um do you remember when we started like doing you know wives and knives murder club and we we did an episode ben McDaniel. Of- Oh, if you call it an episode, then we won't do an episode then. But yeah, we had a discussion on Ben McDaniel, didn't we? And at the time, I started like with this new team, and they just kept they they do use deep dive frequently in conversation. So I just remember constantly just having deep dive, deep dive, deep dive at work, and all I could think about was Ben McDaniel. So now I hate saying deep dive because it just makes me think of Ben. For context, Ben McDaniel died whilst diving. Or did he? Or did he? But (laughs) it relates a lot to the Ben McDaniel case. It does. I'm sorry. Random tangent. But um, yeah, so back to your original question. Apologies for taking you off topic as usual. Um, I do remember the case, but I last night went into it in a bit more detail and it's super interesting. So yeah, I'd love to hear more. Well, this is a sort of overview summary of the case. I could have gone and made it a full episode, but I do mm-hmm. feel there's so much unknown, it would just become very speculative. So a little case it is, but a very important one, I feel. So Andrew Gosden disappeared from central London on the 14th of September 2007. He was 14 years old and this case has really stuck with me more than most cases. I'm not exactly sure why but I remember vividly when he went missing and I do think of him quite a lot. I think some people may know his face rather than his name because his family have never given up hope, and I still regularly see posters of Andrew. There is a lot in Manchester, definitely, and I have seen some in London as well. So I'll give you a little background on him. Andrew grew up in South Yorkshire, and he had an older sister called Charlotte and parents Kevin and Glenys. 
His parents were both religious, but chose not to baptise their children as not to push their views on them, which I thought sounded quite lovely and liberal, to be honest. It seems Andrew had a decent upbringing and he was now growing up. He'd stopped attending scouts and was really getting into music. An ordinary 14-year-old boy, I'd say, and he was super clever and seems like an all-round good lad. He'd been expected to score straight A's in his GCSE exams, and he was described as a prize-winning mathematician who was destined for Cambridge. So, obviously, clever boy. His teachers mm. characterised him as like shy, quiet young man who was super mature. And I do remember him being painted as a shy, shy boy in the media. And whilst this does seem to be true, we know he could be social too, because during 2006, the summer before he went missing, Andrew attended a two-week residential school at Lancaster University, like a summer camp. And his mum and dad recalled that he was really enthusiastic about what he'd been doing there. I found a lovely description of Andrew, which said he was happy in his own company, but he wasn't a loner and he had a small group of like-minded friends. And I can definitely relate to that. Um, I feel that could be a description of me now. Yeah, I think it's not a nice description that probably fits a lot of people. You know, like, it, you know, friendship, I think, can more be about um, quality uh, rather than quantity. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of threads on Reddit and other such sites that go into a lot of speculation about things that he could have possibly been hiding and things like that, but they're not actually based on much. And there'll always be a lot we don't know about Andrew, but from the things that the people that know him said, he seems like a nice boy, like a... A regular boy, like he could have been one of my friends when I was at high school. That yeah, kind he of boy. He, he does sound lovely, definitely. So during the 2007 school holidays, his parents had suggested that he actually travel alone to London to stay with his grandmother, but he didn't wish to go. I guess they thought this might be a nice adventure for him, but he really wasn't interested. This brings us to the 14th of September. So straight after that summer, it was the day he went missing. So eight days into a new school year after returning from the summer holidays, at 8.05am, Andrew left his house and he was witnessed walking across a local park. But instead of taking the school bus, he diverted from his usual route and he went to a cash machine at a local garage. He withdrew £200 from his own bank account, which was almost all his money, and then he returned home. At home, he took off his uniform and changed into casual clothes, which was a slipknot t-shirt and black jeans. And he took a bag, which he'd covered in patches of rock and metal bands with him also. He took his wallet, keys and a PlayStation portable console. No other possessions were identified as missing. At the time, he didn't have a phone, which I don't feel was super unusual for 2007. I did have a phone then, but I was interested in that kind of thing. But I'm pretty sure not all of my friends had phones. He'd had phones in the past, though, hadn't he? Yes. Um, He just didn't seem to take very good care of them. He lost them. And when his dad offered to buy him a new one, he said that he'd rather have money for a new Xbox. So Andrew's father stated that his son 
didn't appear to have taken a sweatshirt or coat with him and he hadn't taken the charger for his PSP. He also left £100 in cash that he'd actually saved up from his birthday. We know that Andrew then walked to Doncaster Railway Station and he purchased a one-way ticket to London which cost £31.40. A railway worker recalled that she had told Andrew that a return ticket would be just 50p more but he insisted on purchasing the single ticket. At 9.35, Andrew was witnessed boarding the train to King's Cross Station alone. One woman reported sitting next to him and she described him as being quiet and engrossed in playing his video game. Meanwhile, when he failed to attend school that morning, his teachers tried to contact his parents and the school believed that they had called and left a message, but it turns out they'd actually dialed the wrong number and either the number of the parents below or above Andrew in the list of contacts. At 11.20, Andrew arrived at King's Cross Station and he was captured on CCTV, leaving the main entrance at 11.25 and he has never been seen again, for sure that is. His family, having not received a phone call from the school, didn't actually realise Andrew was missing until 7pm and that's when they contacted the police. It was on the third day that they realised that Andrew had gone to London after speaking to Doncaster Railway Station. He had been remembered because he had refused the return ticket and his family did wonder if he was planning to stay with relatives as he had many in the London area. It actually took three weeks for CCTV of Andrew to be found at King's Cross Station. Loads of leads were investigated, but they all came to nothing. Most of these revolved around why Andrew would have gone to London on that day. Could it have been to see a band or to meet someone? As far as we know, Andrew had no social media and nothing has been found to suggest that he could have been lured to London that day. People have been looking for him ever since. And despite a few sightings that couldn't be proved, nothing has come any closer to explaining what actually happened to him. For me, it's sadly not surprising that a young boy who was unfamiliar to London could go missing or come to harm there. But the two things that completely blow my mind is firstly what actually made him go to London that day. To me, it seems out of character and like spur of the moment as well. Like I mentioned, he left money at home and he didn't take much with him, which seems to indicate he felt he wouldn't be gone for long. But if this is the case, why no return ticket? Secondly, if Andrew came to harm, someone must know where his body is. Kelly, what do you think? Oh, it's um, it's a tough one, this, isn't it? Mm. Um, it's I find it a really fascinating case. Um, I think it must be absolutely terrible for the parents, and I really do hope that there's some movement and some news on this case soon. Um. Have they recently appealed for information? Like, I feel like I've seen his face in some recent articles. Um, Relatively recently. So age progression photos were released in 2009. And like I said, his family haven't given up hope. They all seem to be really active in the search for Andrew and helping reunite missing people with their loved ones. They have a lot to do with the missing people charity, I believe. Mm. It is really sad and such a mystery. I'll always think of Andrew and be looking out for him. And I hope that his family get answers at some point. 
Yeah, definitely. There's there's a few little things about the case that I do find like super interesting though. Um, I know we're not going to go into it too much, but I think it, I do agree with you. I think it maybe possibly at some point you know, it might be interesting if there is some developments to look at this as for a main episode. But like just to speculate about a couple of things, the return ticket, like you said, you, you don't usually you wouldn't do that, would you, if you were planning on coming back that day but then I did read something that said because of the time that he went and because of like the out of peak sort of um time or the implications of that on the ticket it would make sense that he would because he had the cash to buy a return ticket back because it would give him more time you know and obviously his parents, if they saw his school uniform was at home, would assume that he'd be back. So it gave, it gave him like a little bit of time to play, if you know what I mean, do what he liked to do in London. Yeah. Does that make sense? He didn't want to be you know tied I mean? to the constraints of a return ticket, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems like his behaviour in the weeks leading up to his disappearance I just felt like when I was reading through it, it looked like he potentially could be seen to be cutting social ties. You know, like, not necessarily, but I just from how I read it, like, why didn't he take... I know you said about he wanted the money for an Xbox, but, you know, did he do that because he didn't have anybody to call? Do, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like, I've read um, quite a lot <laughs> of the same threads as I think you have. And a right. lot of them allude to um, him potentially committing suicide. I read that too, and I can see the I can see the sort of thought process because he, you know, he'd left the the church and the scouts and stuff, and he he didn't really seem, from what you read, and again, it's speculative, didn't seem enthusiastic about things, you know, or it could be interpreted that way. But I think that's kind of normal for a lot of teenagers to go through a a phase maybe of yeah like I that. think if he hadn't no. gone missing all that behavior would be characterized as completely normal and yeah, it's only agreed. because he's gone missing people can read more into it agreed the only thing that makes me that just sort of a little red flag is that those things that we've just mentioned could also be applied to somebody who was being groomed definitely and I know I did just like read a few things and, I, and it did say the police have looked fully into the communication aspect. You know, could he be communicating through his PlayStation, etc. Um, But I just think if you do look at it, if you've, you know, if you haven't looked at Andrew's case and you start looking at it now and you look at it from a point that he could have potentially been groomed, it, it does sort of fit you know it, it and that again is purely based on conjecture but it's something to look at isn't it you know like you said he's a very intelligent person he had been on a summer camp could he have met somebody there maybe or through school or maybe something? it was someone who he felt more intellectually on a level with than people his own age yeah because I think that would have definitely been an issue for him and that may be why he had fewer friends because he was I think I read he was extremely gifted he was you know he'd been on a gifted program hadn't he Mm -hmm. as well yeah and there's so many potential theories like you said but 
I I re I hope he is alive. I really do. But there's just something that makes me think potentially um, something terrible happened to him. You know, maybe it was just a case of being in the wrong place at the wrong time. But yeah, I, I really genuinely hope for his family and for Andrew that the case progresses soon. Do you know what I mean? I just something very interesting has gone on. Definitely, there. and if he did come to harm at the hands of someone else, someone has got away with something for a very long time now. Exactly. Moving on from that, um, I do think that we should probably mention Sarah Everard because that's been a huge case recently and since she was originally reported missing. No doubt our audience will be fully aware of Sarah and what has happened to her. We had some links posted on the page by listeners And we've had some good interactions and feedback, so thank you for that. I'm so glad that it looks like justice is going to be done for Sarah. Oh, yeah, I completely agree. And I don't want to sound like I'm downplaying what happened to Sarah in any way, but I think today um, it'd be nice to focus on the people out there that haven't had as much attention, you know, like Andrew and a few of the um, lesser-known cases And there were a few that caught my eye recently and I I posted a link on the page to some other cases of missing persons in particular. We'll be keeping an eye on all of them and we'll update you accordingly. Um, But I did want to mention just two cases in particular. Danny, have you heard of um, Blessing Elusive? No, I, I haven't until I got your script. Well, yeah, so I have been hearing a lot about this case recently. Um... Blessing was discovered dead on a beach in East Sussex on um, 18th September of last year uh, with nothing but a few of her belongings close by to her body. Um, Blessing was a 21-year-old business student from London who was on a one-week placement in Bexhill as a carer to help old people with dementia and other mental health issues. Her death has been deemed as unexplained by Sussex police and a post-mortem has determined that she died by drowning but there's quite a large gap of time between when she was last spotted alive to when her body was discovered and there's a lot of mystery around her death so there's now a petition uh, a petition there's now a petition doing the rounds saying that the police did not go far enough in their investigation into blessing's death with racism and the discrimination of people of African heritage in public services cited as playing a part. Um, The petition has been signed, I think it's around 42,000 times um, at the time of this recording. Um, I have to check that to uh, to be definite. But ultimately, it's a very compelling case that listeners may be interested in looking into um Danny what what have your thoughts about well like I said I hadn't heard of Blessing until you sent me notice of what you were going to be talking about through and I've done a quick google and I can't believe that I didn't know about this it seems like it should have been huge and should still be huge yeah completely agree and that's interesting that maybe it isn't that well known you know uh, referring to the above point um, so yeah, if listeners want to give that a check, well, we'll check it out. But there are plenty of other cases of missing people that we could go into. Uh, it is supposed to be a mini, and I'm sensing it, it probably won't be. Um, but another case that I wanted to quickly mention before 
uh, I go on to the anniversary bit, is that of um, Leah Croucher. Have you heard of Leah, Danny? I have heard of the name, but do you refresh my memory on this one? Okay, so Leah disappeared in Milton Keynes on the 15th of February 2019 as she was on her way to work, and she's not been seen or heard from since. She was last seen by her parents at their home at 10 o'clock on the 14th of February. And she told her family that she was meeting a friend that night, but police said the meeting didn't happen and have appealed for information on where she was between six and sort of quarter past seven that evening. The family and her friends are, I think, pretty clear on who was involved. And her dad, John, recently did a press conference where he said, um, I've got quotes here, the selfish person needed to come forward as the disappearance was destroying the family. He also said, I will name him. If the police don't like it, tough. I will name him publicly if he doesn't come forward soon with the information the police need. It's a really intriguing case and I'll pop up the links as usual. Definitely keep an eye on that. So, um, to the anniversaries then. So it was the anniversary of Claudia Lawrence's disappearance recently and that was the 18th of March um, 2009 and police have launched a fresh appeal so watch this space Uh, and we covered Claudia in episode five I think. Yes we did and just last week the lead on the investigation said that new information has come to light that has sparked a whole new line of inquiry. The police are urging whoever provided this information to get back in touch with as much detail as possible. Oh, that's interesting and cryptic. Oh, yeah, definitely. I got that from a Guardian article, and I've put the link in the notes. But there's been a lot of people speculating on Facebook groups about what that means. But the official word Mm. is exactly what I've just said. Wow. Yeah cryptic indeed um so yeah i feel like the final thing um that i wanted to talk about is it's an anniversary um but it's the anniversary of a terrible crime and i think it's one that i think most british people have heard of or are definitely aware of and it's that of the dunblane massacre and much like you said with them regard to andrew i think this does deserve a full episode but I just wanted to mention it because it happened on the 13th of March 1996 so it's actually 25 years ago now and it's a truly harrowing story and its content is pretty There are plenty of episodes out there that cover this topic if you want to do more research and our friends at Red Handed do a really good one. Oh they do definitely I think it's um I think it's Bethan who does that episode but it is a really good episode And there are lots of interviews and articles in the media, particularly at the moment, you know, due to the anniversary. Danny, do you do you remember this happening? I I know what it is, but no, I don't remember it happening, to be honest. Yeah, um, I, I have a clear memory of this happening. It's the first time that school shooting sort of fully entered my consciousness. Sadly, nowadays, it feels you know like a regular occurrence like especially if you consider mass shootings in a general sense and that's one thing I will say is positive in this case is like whilst the UK has had mass shootings before and after Dunblane like there was Hungerford in 1987 and then Cumbria shootings in 
left in 2010 but it was the last school shooting and I pray it stays that way um America take note 1997 sorry in 1997 laws were passed on firearms like without banning guns completely and it actually happened during the change in political parties that control the country and they still managed to agree and make it work and I know that we're a much smaller country than America but you know you don't have to do it all in one day do you you know just start small and crack on now so we also well we they also the country also had a firearm amnesty and spent sort of 95 million pounds I think in exchange for guns and ammunition so they got a lot right after what happened at at Dunblane and at the public inquest after the event it was noted that the violence which the shooter used would not have been predictable I think again we could go a lot further into that but we'll leave we'll leave it at that for now Thomas Watt Hamilton was born on the 10th of May 1952 in Glasgow to mother Agnes Hamilton, who was 20, and father Thomas Watt, who was 22. And his bus driver father left when he was 18 months old and a distraught Agnes moved back home to live with her parents, James and Catherine Hamilton. The elderly couple officially adopted Thomas when he was four years old, pretending to be his real parents whilst his birth mother Agnes pretended to be his sister and I don't find that like massively strange I think that was a pretty common move back in the day to prevent scandal and his birth mother Agnes had in fact been adopted within the family by James and Catherine for that very reason so they were like her blood relatives but mm, not like double her birth scandal. I'm not exactly sure when he found out the truth but it's implied implied that it, he was in his late teens to early 20s when that happened so he was aware other than that, his childhood is pretty is described as pretty much normal and in inverted commas. You know, he did well at school and as a teenager he joined a rifle club, the boys brigade and the chess club. And his family had a local like kitchen fitting and like hardware shop in I think it's pronounced Cowain in Stirling. So in 1973, at the age of 20, he became an assistant um, leader of his local Boy Scouts club. And in 74, the leader of the 24th Stirlingshire Troop. And as as his, well, in his role as assistant leader and then leader, he led two camping trips to Abbeymore in the Highlands. And the first one, he told the parents of the eight boys that there was a hostel, but no hostel had been booked. And the boys ended up spending like a pretty cold night in the back of a van. And on the second expedition, the boys got tired and cold due to having to dig like snow holes. And the parents, when they found out, they complained and he was asked to leave. And the Scottish um, Scout Association is quite adamant that there was no public disgrace. Um, Like Hamilton was asked to resign quietly and without force simply because he was an incompetent leader. You know, not because they believed he was molesting boys or they had any other concerns at that time. And I find that quite fascinating because this is something quite trivial, really. You know, no one was hurt. I would imagine that most people could have just moved on from that, being a bit embarrassed, you know, but it would have been something you'd maybe laugh about later. Yeah, I think it depends what your friend's sense of humour is. (laughs) It's a bit weird, but it's not... (laughs) Like, I feel, can you imagine, like, I think 
you know, like if I'd taken some scouts up a hill and I'd forgotten to book a hotel, I would have handled it better than dumping them in the back of a van. But probably you and I would laugh about yeah. that later. I'd be like, you know, can you remember the time I did that? I, I'd like, by the way, I'm in no way defending this at all, by the way. I just think it highlights his personality. Yeah, it's odd, um, but it's not the sort of usual precursor to mass murder, is it? Uh, no, I wouldn't have thought so. Um, anyway, I'm in no way an expert, of course, but like I said, I, I just think it highlights his personality because he sort of harbours this resentment and it evolves or escalates. So over the next 20 years, um, Hamilton hires school halls and gyms from three separate local authorities to run sports clubs. And these are like weekly sessions of five-a-side football and gymnastics for boys aged 8 to 11. And the clubs were monitored and a spokesperson for the council said they had no cause for concern. And alongside these clubs, um, Hamilton also runs like summer camps for boys where he charges 70 to 80 pounds a week for organised daily activities. And in Sterling, where he lived, um, the locals described him in varying ways. So he's noted as being an apparently shy man. He was very head down and sort of crept along. Um, He rarely exchanged more than a few words. And when he did, he'd be like speaking slowly and softly without making eye contact. Um, He seldom mixed with others outside of the boys clubs. Uh, He was a member of the local gun club, but hardly ever attended. He had few, if any, real friends. And a neighbour said that the only visitors to the house um, they saw were the police and a gardener. The boys in his clubs called him Mr Creepy and the adults nicknamed him Spock. Um, odd character is the general theme. Um, but then others say that he was you know, always very polite, intelligent, knowledgeable, kind and in control. In 1986, um, the shop owned by the family and run by him closed down. And he turned to buying and selling photography equipment, like cameras and stuff. And it was an area that he had quite an interest in. So his main focus at this time um, and source of income is the boys clubs and the photography business. Now, as the head of several of these clubs, he'd been subject to a number of complaints, 10 separate charges um, to the police regarding inappropriate behaviour towards young boys. And one by one, sort of parents, local authorities and the police became quite anxious about his activities. Um, Some of the claims included him having taken photographs of semi-naked boys without parental consent, um, forcing them to run around in only swimming trunks, rub suntan oil onto his body and like throwing them into a freezing lock naked. Um, There was no suggestion of like specific I sexual think throwing abuse. a naked um, boy into a lot comes close yeah that's what I mean it, it, it was ne- it wasn't it wasn't yeah it's not good <laughs> <laughs> don't get me wrong it's not good um but I feel I feel like it's not mm. specific sexual abuse where you know where we would normally think in a paedophilia way this is like um harsh treatment abuse not good I wouldn't want to put it on a flyer for a summer <laughs> camp by any means you know um but I don't want to make light of the situation yeah. but you get what I'm saying yeah there was no suggestion of sexual abuse but nothing formally ever came of any of those complaints 
Um, but in 1992, the councillors like had heard other stories, much like the ones we mentioned, and particularly complaints from parents over a summer camp that Hamilton had run in Dunblane. Um, three children had run away, apparently because of the harshness of the training. In the time leading up to the massacre at Dunblane Primary School, Hamilton had sent many letters where he claimed that local rumours had you know, led to the failure of his business and that his attempts to organise boys clubs were subjected to persecution by local police and the scout movement. Um, and also, you know, complaints about rumours about his character as well. And among those that he complained to were the Queen um, and his local MPs, as well as the parents of the children. Uh, trading standards, I read, had gotten involved with the photography business uh, with something to do with him advertising in a magazine, I think. And he was banned from selling, you know, through his usual means. So, you know, he's in like serious financial difficulties now. His mood's low and he's deeply resentful of those who he claims, sorry, for those people who've claimed that he's a pervert and had, you know, discouraged the boys from attending his clubs. Now, after a gap of about eight years, his interest uh, in firearms, which he had, you know, from being a young teenager, um, is rising again. And he was known to have carried a gun on his person. And one parent um, who had officially complained about him to the police advised that he was in a van one day and he produced this gun from under his seat and pointed it at her, saying it was loaded. Um, and another witness said that they'd seen him with a gun, uh, like, under his jacket, you know, when he was on the bus. So, you know... That, for me, is a bit of a, a red flag. You know, I feel like somebody could have possibly followed up on that. There's evidence that points, you know, to him preparing for what he did. He had questioned, you know, one of the boys that attended the, one of his clubs about the layout of the gym at the primary school that he attended and also the timings of assemblies and which children attended which assembly. Um this boy advised that he'd been asking these questions for about two years, approximately. And um, a retired police officer also said that Hamilton had asked him about hypothetical incidents at the school and how long it would take the police to respond. Um, he would go on to cut the phone lines outside the school. Um, I'm going to insert a trigger warning here because I am going to speak about what happens next and what happened on the morning. Um, so please just be aware if that's not for you, just to skip forward. Um, at around 9.30am, um, the shooter walked into the school with four handguns and around 743 cartridges of ammunition, all of which he'd acquired legally. After firing two shots into the assembly hall and girls' bathroom, he entered the gym where 28 children had gathered for a lesson. According to a government inquiry conducted after the attack, the gunman fired indiscriminately and in rapid succession, striking the three teachers present and killing one of them, Gwen Mayer, a 43-year-old mother of two, as she attempted to shield her students. And this first hail of bullets killed one child and injured several others. Advancing on the wounded, 
the shooter walked in a semicircle, systematically firing 16 shots before standing over the children and firing at point-blank range. After shooting at students and staff in the hallway, a nearby classroom and the library cloakroom, he returned to the gym and turned the gun on himself. In just three to four minutes, the gunman had fired more than 100 times, striking 32 people and killing 17, himself included. Another injured child died of their wounds en route to the hospital, bringing the final death toll to 18. Um, the gym was um, bulldozed not, not long after the event, and um, then later the entire school had a full renovation. Um, it's just fucking brutal, isn't it? It I is can't... a lot. It's a lot. And I find it interesting that all his weapons were acquired legally. How much weaponry should one person be allowed to legally own? Yeah, it's... Um... I think we mentioned the gun control. Well, sorry, I mentioned the gun control earlier, and and you know changes had been made following you know previous mass shootings, but unfortunately, he was still legally allowed to have those weapons. Um, like we said, the only good thing is that more or less with well in under a year of the event. Um, he wouldn't you know he wouldn't have been allowed to have them or no one's allowed to have them anymore so it's you know at least we listened and and did something definitely um i wonder if he didn't have access to the guns would he have just used Mm. another weapon well yeah is he a dangerous uh, man that would have found any way to inflict that kind of pain or did the guns make it a lot more convenient probably but is he still the criminal? Definitely. It's it's interesting. I yeah. don't have a hard and fast opinion on what I think about guns. I don't think we should all be allowed them and I don't think I would never own one, for example. I wouldn't wouldn't want to. Um yeah. but is it the gun that creates the criminal or the criminal that uses the gun? If we took the guns away, would I don't know. It's it's a lot though, and that is such a harrowing story. It is. It is. Yeah, you raised some good points there. Um, obviously, as a country, we still have serious crimes, and we don't have um a lot of guns. Um, you, well, we do have guns, but you know they are monitored, and it you know we do it we do it well, I think. But it's a wider conversation, and what I find interesting is the the psychology the way of thinking of the person that that goes on to do this it's usually it's a personality issue i find more than it is a mental health problem issue but it's a bit again i'm not a professional and it's a a lot of a a bigger conversation that we might have at a later date but we mentioned the gun reform at the beginning but i feel like we should also mention some of the good things that came out of this terrible crime and that's the Gun Control Network, and that was the UK's first organisation dedicated to gun reform. And there was also a petition to ban all handguns in the UK, dubbed the Snowdrop Campaign. And that was in honour of the only flower in bloom on the day of the massacre. And it garnered more than one million signatures by the time that it reached Parliament in um, the summer of 1996. And a lot of that work was done by or in conjunction with the parents of the children killed. So you know 
you've got to look at the the positives, haven't you, in such a terrible situation. In 2004, the Dunblane Centre was built with donations that poured in from around the world. And since then, it's served as like a site of community celebration and remembrance. And in 2013, the locals gathered there around a television to cheer on tennis star Andy Murray, because um, he's a Dunblane native who survived the massacre as an eight-year-old. And he became the first British man to win at Wimbledon in 77 years. Prior to the pandemic, the centre hosted a range of activities, including like fitness classes, a Lego building club and a choir. So again, that's something something lovely and positive. Um, there are glass etchings honouring the 17 victims like that dot the building's windows and each has a gold leaf adorned like with an engraving of a personal image that held significance for the individual represented. And um, Sophie North shows a cat on a chocolate bar and that's a nod to her beloved pet Kit Kat. And Ross Irvin's uh, depicts a fox from his favourite TV show and Brett McKinnon's feature The Power Ranger. And that's the bit that makes my throat really thick, that bit. Um, so from the public inquiry, um, Lord Cullen stated, in the light of expert evidence from a psychologist and psychiatrist, I conclude that Thomas Hamilton was not mentally ill but had a paranoid personality with a desire to control others in which his firearms were the focus of his fantasies. The violence which he used would not have been predictable and his previous conduct showed indications of paedophilia. So like we said, I mean, like there's so much more that we could go into and discuss on this one. For me, I agree mostly with the above statement I'm not convinced on the paedophilia, like there's no report of sexual abuse, um, no sexual offences, but he had been cautioned by police 18 months prior to the massacre after being uh, caught in a compromising position on, I think it was um, Edinburgh's Colton Hill, and that's a well-known haunt of the gay community. I'm not linking that, obviously, to paedophilia, or, um, but I'm just saying that's that's the only charge in relation no, to with the sort of events. mention of paedophilia just from what i've learned about him now i agree that paedophilia doesn't particularly seem evident it's more sexual abuse and mm-hmm. that tends to be child abuse because they were the people that were vulnerable to him maybe it was just a sense of power yeah i I think from when you, if you look into the actual boys clubs, um, if you if you do more wider research on this case, it's like he, what the activities within the boys club were never around, there was no sexual motive around, that I can see around those activities. It was more to control them. His aim, I think, was he wanted to, he wanted the recognition of being the, figure of control over these children and why did they have to be naked and, or wearing swimming trunks usually I don't think that he got off on watching them in the swimming trunks I think yeah. he got off on the control and them being in swimming trunks around. or naked makes them inherently more vulnerable but it, but I don't think he was he, I don't there's no there's no note of him touching them inappropriately 
when we think of sexual yeah. abuse in a wider term does that make sense am i sounding no. like an idiot here danny just tell me because i sometimes very in no you know i'm trying to get my Probably. point across <laughs> right anyway um so yeah i'm not an expert but i would agree with the paranoid personality not sure if it would be a disorder or not um i just do think that he always appears to blame other people for his misfortunes and i think he just wants to find his place or be recognized and when he doesn't he punishes the people that he feels are responsible i mean if you've got an issue with me come to me you know leave the children out of it and that's the only motive that i can see in what he does is to punish the parents I know sometimes they say in mass shootings that, like, well, the experts say that people do it for notoriety. And I just don't understand that because how do these people think they're going to be remembered? Because all I'm remembering them as is a fucking prick, you know, a repugnant, selfish, weak coward. Yeah, this has been really informative for me because I didn't know a lot about this case. I knew it was school shooting, but I think in my head... I have got this and Columbine slightly mixed. Columbine was Columbine. I have no idea, but it was two, it was two lads, wasn't it? Yeah, I think I've got them slightly was, mixed yeah. in my yeah. head. It was interesting you mentioned Hungerford massacre because I've recently watched a program about that. Oh, I found um, that and I found sort of the psycholo- psychology. Wow, psychology and um, behind what would drive somebody to shoot indiscriminately and I agree with you I don't particularly think it was notoriety I think it's a big fuck you to the world it's someone who feels very alone very undervalued very mistreated and like the world's against them probably because they are hugely narcissistic because they think that the world should revolve around them and that they're owed something but all these other people don't understand that and it's them taking the frustrations out. Very interesting, but like with this man, it seems like apart from being odd, these sort of people tend to be a little bit invisible until they do something catastrophic and that's terrifying. Yeah, agreed, yeah. And I think that right that sort of raises the wider question of how invisible was this man and were there, you know, potential was there potential to not predict that it was going to happen, but to to what point is somebody odd and to what point is somebody someone that needs to be Yeah, I don't know on. if that's something that as a society will ever be able to make the call on because there's so many people that are a little bit odd but they're completely harmless and can be Yeah. decent lovely people in their own way very hard Uh, ultimately it's absolutely horrific glad that we live in the uk um you know because obviously we have strict gun control so you know anyway um i thought that just to you know a final note of recognition on on the dunblay massacre that we might finish this episode by reading out the names yep. of the victims are you okay with that right okay. victoria elizabeth clydesdale emma elizabeth crozier melissa helen curry charlotte louise dunn kevin allen hassel ross william Irvine, david charles kerr mary isabel mcbeath brett mckinnon abigail joanne mclennan gwen mayer the teacher 
Emily Morton, Sophie Jane Lockwood North, John Petrie, Joanna Caroline Ross, Hannah Louise Scott, Megan Turner. Well, I think it seems an opportune time to end this episode. So thank you to everyone out there for listening to us. Yeah, thank you. And we'll be back with another case for you next week. So stay safe out there. Bye, guys. Bye.